I'm not on. Is that better? How's that? Um, so it gives us a real understanding of what it's like to have Jesus coming into the midst. And I was reminded of what Matthew writes in his gospel, in Matthew 18, where he says that every time people meet together in the name of Jesus, we have this promise that the risen Christ will be present. Jesus is present amongst his people in and through the person of the Holy Spirit. So let's just take a moment to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to us this morning as we read and study his word. And Father, we've already sung this morning, we welcome you with praise. And we do indeed, Lord, welcome you into this place. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us as we study your word? As we think about what it means to have you in the midst of us, in the midst of our lives. Draw us closer to you this morning, Lord. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been in a sort of situation that could be described as a perfect storm. Maybe a situation where there's loads of different things coming at you, everything seems to be going wrong, you can't make sense of anything, you don't know what's happening, you don't know why things are happening. You may get a sense of numbness or shell shock of feeling that you're being overwhelmed by all these events that are happening. The disciples on that first Easter day were understandably feeling all sorts of emotions. They were sad. They were grieving. Their friend had been crucified. They had left him. Peter particularly had denied his friend, said, no, don't know him, but they'd run away. They were confused because Mary had told them that that morning she had seen Jesus walking around the garden and he had spoken to her. And John tells us that the disciples were afraid of the Jews, perhaps because they'd heard these rumours that Jesus' body had disappeared from the guarded tomb and they were the prime suspects for having stolen the body. So they've got this sense of fear, this sense of confusion and grief. All these things, all these different emotions coming at them at the same time. And they can't make sense of it all. So they're together in this room, locked, when then Jesus appears in a locked room. Now if someone can come back to life, if someone can get out of a tomb that was sealed with a huge boulder, guarded by soldiers, then we can probably assume that it's not beyond the realms of possibility for someone to get into a locked house. But I've imagined that the disciples were feeling pretty freaked out at that point. So it's no wonder that Jesus comes in and says, peace be with you. What I found interesting is that just as Mary didn't recognise Jesus until he said her name, here the disciples don't recognise Jesus until they see his wounds. Now I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that room. I don't know about you, but reading that passage, it makes it all sound really calm and serene, doesn't it? But I suspect it's anything but. I can imagine the disciples getting pretty worked up when they saw Jesus. And when he says, peace be with you, 
I don't think it was like we might imagine sort of how because are sometimes portrayed in films, doesn't it, where they have this sort of holy voice and Jesus says, peace be with you. I can imagine what he was doing was actually coming alongside them, maybe putting his arms around them and saying, guys, it's all right, I'm here, peace, don't be afraid, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. Jesus' presence brought peace and it brought joy. When praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest, that we read about in John 14, Jesus said to the disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And John tells us that the disciples rejoiced when they saw Jesus. Now I don't know if that means that every, all their fears left them and they're like, oh great, Jesus is back. It's, we can forget about it all, we can forget about what's happened. I just wonder if actually Jesus' presence made them a bit more confused than they were. But what they did know was that in Jesus' presence, they don't need to fear. And of course, just as Jesus appeared to the disciples in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their confusion and fear, he can appear to us when we're feeling those things too. Whether that's personal things for us, whether we've got things going on in our lives or in the lives of our friends and family, sickness, grief... Loss of job, loss of employment, broken relationships, debt, all those things that can come at us almost out of nowhere. God can speak into those situations and his presence can come in and we can embrace his presence in those situations. But also on global events, whether that's war, terrorism, earthquakes, famine, and all things that affect us on a much bigger scale. Jesus can come in and say, peace be with you. The author, Jean Varnier, puts it like this. He says, when we are frightened, don't we too hide behind the locked doors of our own hearts, unable to reach out towards others? Yet Jesus comes to each of us through these locked doors and says, peace to you. We sung one of the songs we sung earlier was talking about our, our hearts being open. And it's so easy, isn't it, for us to sing things like that without almost thinking about what we're doing. But actually, how many of us do truly come into the presence of God, come into church with our hearts completely open, saying, God, just take it all. But it's in those moments when we can do that, when we can sow and can lay things down to him, that we can embrace the presence of God when Jesus does really come into our midst. And that's when we encounter his peace. In closing, the second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says, um, he he reassures us that in Jesus we will always have peace. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in all ways. And the disciples really got that. They got that sense of peace from Jesus being among them, despite all the other emotions that they were feeling, despite the chaos of the last few days and everything they had been through. Jesus came and met with them where they were. So Jesus meets with us in our, in our grief, in our fear. But he also meets with us in our absence. And that sounds like a bit of a strange thing to say. How can someone meet you where you're not? But it's passages like this that leave me asking all sorts of questions. And you wish the authors of the Bible had given you a little bit more information. So for me, the thing that stands out with this passage is where's Thomas? 
why isn't he there? He's lived the last three years of his life with these guys. They've just been through this major event and he's nowhere to be seen. Now part of me thinks, oh, maybe he's popped to the shops or he's in the loo or he's overslept. Or more seriously, perhaps he was processing all those emotions. Maybe he's more of an introvert and didn't want to be around other people and he just needed to have some time on his own. Maybe he wasn't as scared as the others were and he didn't feel the need to be locked up inside. But he missed out on this big event. I was remembered a few years ago when I was working in the civil service. I'd taken a day off work and came back into the office the next day to huge excitement and everyone was buzzing because the Prime Minister had visited. And the Prime Minister had visited our office, he had visited our department, he'd been around to talk to all my colleagues, introduce himself, and I had missed out. I wasn't there. Now, Tony Blair was not like Jesus. I'm sure that's something we can all agree with, irrespective of politics aside. But Jesus gave Thomas a second chance that Tony Blair didn't give me. Tony Blair didn't come back the next day and say, Brad, I'm sorry you weren't in the office, but I just wanted to come and say hello. He didn't do that. But Jesus did that to Thomas. Jesus didn't want Thomas to miss out on the opportunity of seeing him. And all through the Gospels, we get this thread of the one being more important than the collective. The individual being more important than the many. Don't we? we see that in the parables of the lost sheep, the parables of the lost coin, parable of the prodigal son. Jesus sees us, his people, as individuals. We're not part of a crowd. He sees each and every one of us as a person who he loves. And so, of course, he wasn't going to let Thomas miss out on experiencing the joy of meeting the resurrected Jesus. And just as it wasn't too late for Thomas to meet Jesus, it's never too late for us to meet him either. We might feel like we've lost the chance. We might feel like we've rejected him in the past, and so he's not going to show up again. We might feel that that was back then, things have moved on, and we're in a different place. But Jesus is always going to come back and give us the opportunity to meet him again. It's not about the numbers, it's about the one. And each and every one of us are that one for Jesus. So he meets us in our grief, in our confusion, and in our fear. He meets us in our absence. And then, of course, he meets us in our doubting and in our questioning. And this passage is probably most famous for Thomas, who goes by his first name, Doubting. And that's a bit unfair, isn't it, I think? Because the other disciples, they had all doubted. They had all denied. Peter had denied Jesus. Luke, in his Gospel, tells us that when Mary told the others that they, she had seen Jesus that morning, they didn't believe her. And even in that passage from John, John tells us that the disciples rejoiced when they saw it was Christ having seen his wounds. They do exactly the same thing as what Thomas did. I want to tell you a story. This is a story about a nine-year-old boy called Joey. And Joey had been to church with his mum, and on the way home, his mum said, So, Joey, what did you do in Sunday school today? What did you learn about? And so Joey said, Oh, we learned about Moses and how Moses led the, Egyptian, led the Israelites to freedom from the Egyptians. And so his mum said, Okay, what did, you, what did you learn about that story? And so he said, Well, our teacher told us that God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. 
So I thought, okay, a bit of drama in there, that's okay, but okay, well, go on, what, what, what did you learn? He said, well, one particular thing was that when Moses got to the Red Sea, he got his soldiers to build a bridge across the sea, and then all of the Israelites walked across the bridge to safety, then he radioed for backup, and then the planes flew over and bombed the bridge so that the Egyptians couldn't get across, and all the Israelites were saved. Now, at that point, his mum was a bit worried about what they were teaching her son. And so she said, Joey, is that really what you were taught? And he said, no, mum, it wasn't. But if I told you what the teacher really said, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> you know, we get these things, don't we, all the time. We hear these miraculous stories. We, hear, we read about the miracles in the Bible. And it's just so easy, isn't it, for us to have that sense of doubt. That sense of, really? Did that really happen? want to look at a picture. This is a picture from the, an artist, Karl Heinrich Bloch, and it's a picture that represents Doubting Thomas. The picture is dark. You can see Thomas in the, in the red robe, cowering before Jesus. Above him, glowing in white, looking a bit grumpy, is Jesus. He's sort of pulled his robe back and he's sort of half-pointing at a scar. The disciples are hiding behind Jesus. No one's looking at Jesus' scars. No one's, Thomas isn't touching anyone. Jesus isn't touching anyone. It looks a bit of a scary picture, doesn't it? No one looks happy. And what that picture seems to say to me is that this impression that questioning is wrong. Asking questions is wrong. All throughout history, Thomas has been condemned because, well, he doubted. He didn't believe. He didn't have faith. We can't be like Thomas, can we? But in spite of that negative image that history has given us of Thomas, I don't believe that Jesus was really criticising him. I believe Jesus gave Thomas an invitation to draw near to him. He gave him space, opportunity to ask his questions Let's just look at what Jesus actually says to Thomas. He says, he said, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. There's two ways we can read that, isn't there? Two ways we can hear it. We can say Jesus sort of, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. You've been with me for the last three years. You've heard everything I tell you. Why are you being so stupid? Of course I'm back. Of course it's me. Or he could be a bit more gentle, couldn't he? He could draw Thomas to him and say, look, look, Thomas, look at what they did to me. Look at what happened. Look at what I've been through. It's me. You can believe. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. And the image that society often has of the church at the moment is that the church isn't a place where people can come and ask their questions. And it's not a place where they can get any answers. How can we as the church be a safe place for people to ask their questions? How can we be a safe place for people to express their doubts? A place where people can ask those difficult questions without being made to feel that just because we haven't got all the answers, we don't know, we don't know the answers, we question things, that that somehow makes us less able to be disciples, to be followers of Christ. You know, Jesus invites us in to to ask our questions. Jesus is big enough to take our questions. 
He gives us the opportunity to share our doubts with him. And he's with us in that questioning. He's with us in that doubting. He's in the midst of us as we're asking those questions. Whether that's questions of life, questions of faith, questions of Jesus' power to heal. One of my favourite TV programmes at the moment watching is the uh, Netflix series House of Cards. And one of the things, one of the features in that series is that the character will often sort of break what I think was called the fourth wall in television and talk directly to the audience. So he talks through the characters and, to, and addresses you, us as we're watching. And I just wonder if Jesus is almost doing that through this passage. That when he's saying to Thomas, blessed are those who believe and have not seen, if he's not actually talking that to Thomas, but sort of looking through Thomas and addressing that as us, at us. Jesus is with us. He's in the midst of us in our questioning, in our doubts. He's in the midst of us in our absence. He's in the midst of us in amongst our grief, our confusion and our fear. So I also want to explore a couple of other things that Jesus says in this passage. And the first thing is, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. This gives a complete shift of what the Old Testament view of mission is. For the Jews, for the Israelites, mission to them meant drawing people into Jerusalem. The Jews were God's chosen people who worshipped in Jerusalem... And so their sense of mission was drawing the nations in, drawing people in to worship in Jerusalem. And that was the place where they could worship the one true God. So it's bringing people from the edges into the centre. But Jesus redefines that. Jesus turns that on its head and says, no, it's from the centre you go out. And we see that in the Great Commission, don't we, where Jesus says, go and preach the gospel. Go to the ends of the earth, preach the gospel. People are sent and go. And in saying that, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, again, that's another way of Jesus saying, go, I'm sending you. It's not about drawing people in, it's about us going out to be missionaries to our neighbours, to our communities, to our work colleagues, to our friends, to our families. We're all missionaries. But it's easy, isn't it, for us to get into this sense of being stuck in that Old Testament view of come in, come to us. But what Jesus is saying is, no, go. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you out. So where have you been sent? What's your community? What people has God given you a particular passion for? How can you reach out to them? Jesus gives us the answer to that question. How can we reach out to them? It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. The other thing he says to the disciples is, receive the Holy Spirit. And this reminds me of God breathing into Adam. And in the passage from Ezekiel, uh, where the valley of dry bones, where breath is breathed into into the bones and they come to life. In the 40 Days book, Dave Smith says um, that in breathing, breathing on the disciples, it's not only so they come alive with the life of the Spirit, but so that they are empowered to go and bring new life to the world around them. We can't live out that commission to go unless we receive the power of the Holy Spirit first. Again, again quoting Jean Varnier, he says that Jesus is showing his disciples their responsibility 
that something is, and that's something that is both terrible and beautiful. That they are to be transformed by the Holy Spirit and sent out into the world to love people as Jesus loves them. As followers of Jesus, we are all called to be a presence of Jesus, to free people from barriers of fear and sin by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and loving through us. Guys, are we transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because it's in that transformation, it's when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, that we become church in the midst. If Jesus is in the midst of us, our challenge is to go and to take that love and power of Jesus into the midst of others. And it's there that we bring the life and the power of the resurrected Jesus. One of the things we heard a lot about new wine last summer was, um, (coughs) this is for that. You know, that we meet, that we gather so that we can go out and be a missionary people to bring the love and power of Jesus to the midst of those who don't know him. Jesus is with us in our confusion, in our grief, in our fear. He's with us in our absence. He's with us in our questioning and our doubts. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is with us as we go out to reach out to other people and to take him into a world that doesn't know him. stand if you're able to as we uh, think about how we're going to respond to to the challenge that he gives us so just in a few moments of quiet we're just going to wait and let the let the Holy Spirit speak to us and prompt us how he wants us to respond this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and minister among us this morning? Lord, would you come and fill us, come and speak to us, come and prompt us. Come and equip us, Lord. We wait for you, Lord.
get a sense that some of us here recognise that we need to be transformed more by the power of the Holy Spirit. We recognise that we need more of the power of the Holy Spirit in us to do what he's calling us to do. Recognising that we can't do things in our own strength. And that God might have given us a passion for a particular people group, a particular community, particular individuals even. For something speaking to you, you know that you can't do that in your own strength, that you can't reach that, you can't go and be church in the midst, bring Jesus into the midst without more of the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you'd like, if you feel that you need to receive more of the power of the Holy Spirit, just invite you to come down to the front. We're saying, yes, Lord, I just want to receive more of your power, more of your equipping. I also just wonder if for some people that a sense that you've come with a sense that it's too late. You feel that you've missed out on the opportunity to meet with Jesus. Maybe you've denied him in the past. Maybe you've turned your back on him in the past. But Jesus is saying, no, today I'm coming to give you that next chance. I'm coming to meet with you. And again, I encourage you just to come down. Don't miss out on the invitation that Jesus has for you to be present in your absence. We're going to spend some time in worship. And as we do, we're just going to pray for the guys at the front. If you would still like to receive prayer, it's not too late. Feel free just to come down to the front. And we're just going to move around and bless what God's doing in people's lives this morning.